welcome to another episode of Not Just Another Sports Podcast. Johnny Manziel will become even bigger in the city of Cleveland than his buddy and business partner LeBron James ever was. With Christian Ainsworth. Ben Simmons to me is the fifth best basketball player in the world. And Price Carter. Under pressure? Yes, Kawhi is better than Kobe was. I'm here to tell you about the player that's going to take the NFC East by storm and also get some MVP votes. We're talking about Danny Dimes. That might be the worst take I've ever heard. Okay, so we ran long. We, we You typically record on Monday nights, but we ran a little bit long, um, which tends to happen a lot for us. So we just ended up deciding we didn't have quite enough to do two episodes. So we decided to just break it up into two smaller parts. So we're just going to throw in a little bit extra here. So that way we've got two solid episodes instead of having one awkwardly long one or two awkwardly short ones. So let me ask you this, Christian. Who do you consider to be the go-to Chiefs reporter, Chiefs news source nowadays? For me, it's 100% Matt Derrick. Like that guy is just on it 24-7. It seems like he has insider information. Uh, I know he's kind of new. I mean, relatively speaking, you know, he's not like the uh, the mainstream reporters that do multiple teams or, or even the ones that have been here for a really long time. Before that, it was Therese Paler, um, another guy, you know, he, he was super fun to listen to and stuff like that, but he's he's my main guy now, Matt Derrick. What about you? For sure. So do you have push notifications on for Matt Derrick? Yeah, I do. And uh, yeah, I, um, well, first off, completely agree with what you said about Therese. Um, it seems like everyone has a Therese story, whether it's big or small. He was a great guy. I got a chance to meet him out at camp one time by accident. Didn't even realize it was him until I like already had my interaction with him, but a, a great human. You can just tell the way every person glows about him. And he was cool too, because he had really started to make his way onto the national scene. Um, for me, I really like Nate Taylor's work. I subscribe to The Athletic. I highly recommend that you do. Um, you know, there's a lot of garbage sports journalism out there nowadays that are just embedded tweets and five paragraphs or five sentences of actual writing. The Athletic is not that. I, you know, there's countless great writers for The Athletic. So I, 40 bucks a month or, or a year for whatever it is, is completely worth it to me. But uh, yeah, Matt Derrick is great too. Um, I like Matt because he seems to get a bit more nuggets that like Nate Taylor is the news. Like he is like, you know, the six o'clock news. These are the headlines. These, this is the info. Matt Derrick tends to get a little bit more of some of the finer details, maybe some more direct quotes from players, both excellent. Um, but the reason why I asked that today is first off, this guy is kind of a little controversial. A lot of Chiefs fans don't like him, but I think the hate is a little too much. Adam Teicher, he writes for ESPN. First off, he's like the union representative for Kansas City sports writers or something. There's like a media uh, kind of union type of thing that exists. Basically, Adam Teicher's the spokesperson for the Kansas City area. So uh, I've just heard this talked about the radio, but basically it's he is, he always get like if you notice in press conferences he always gets the first question because he is the senior guy he is a little bit of a curmudgeon sometimes like sometimes his like I remember last year when Harrison Bucker was having some of his field goal issues by the way like a few weeks removed from like winning the entire Chargers game he was like what do you do with Harrison Bucker I mean how much longer can the Chiefs go on with it and it's like well dude he's a pretty good kicker but um 
Adam Teicher, he gets some exclusive access uh, being that senior guy. And he put out an, an article last week that I really felt like flew underneath the radar. And there's some pretty interesting quotes here in regards to the Tyron Matthew deal. So this article came out right after the Jamal Adams deal was done. Um, and first off, let's just acknowledge, yes, Brett Veach could be completely lying in our face. He's done it before. He stood up and talked about drafting a left tackle for like 30 minutes and then traded for Orlando Brown within the next six hours. So, I mean, it happens. But I do feel like there is some telling information in this article. So I'm going to read directly from Adam Teicher's article that can be found on ESPN. This is a direct quote from Brett Beach. The landscape is super tricky. We're at $30 million salary cap deficit from what we thought. And next year, it's $15 million. Right now, some things are out of control just because of cap reductions this year and next year. If you look at our books for next year, we're going to be over by a bunch. Right now, we're counting on Orlando Brown on a franchise tag, but we think he's going to play well and we're going to extend him. And that opens up space. Restructuring with other players opens up space. Some guys moving on will open up space. It's just frustrating because we're handicapped a little and there's only a certain, there's, there are only certain things we can make do to happen to make sense for Tyron Matthew. But where are we now is going to be completely different than where we will be once the season ends. And we have a lot more clarity on contracts and how the money is distributed and allocated and how we can fit things in and how we can make it work. It's just super tricky right now but it has nothing to do with us not wanting him or him not wanting to be here. It's just one of those unfortunate timing things. So um, I, I mean, I felt like that there's some things that really jumped out on the page on me. What do you, what do you think? Were there some things that kind of caught your attention from those quotes? Yeah. Orlando Brown on the franchise tag really strikes me. I, I haven't heard this at all. So I'm just kind of listening through this uh, firsthand Dude, Orlando Brown getting a franchise tag, I, I don't know how much that would be, but obviously it would be a lot. Um, I, I feel like they're kind of playing it safe, but still, the, the longer you wait, right, the, the more years you wait, it's the same thing that's going to happen with Allen Robinson uh, when he finally gets his deal because he's a wide receiver going into the Bears uh, on the franchise tag this year. All you're doing is prolonging and, and making the, uh, the contract bigger and bigger. I mean, we just watched it with Jamal Adams. We, everybody kind of expected that Tyron was going to get a deal before him so that they didn't have to, you know, give him a bump over Jamal um, because everybody wants to reset the market and Tyron Matthew probably deserves to reset the market. Um, <clears throat> there's kind of, you're, you're just adding more salary cap. I, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I believe that that's what's going to end up happening. Well, I mean, first off, I think the thing that really jumps off the page to me is him just like point blank admitting that they're really up against the cap and that, you know, I think it's, I think it's a little ridiculous that they're citing the COVID shortened year. Cause I mean, I feel like it's just going to be one of those things that people just keep coming back to. Like, did you ever have that guy in high school whose entire life was ruined by breaking up with a girl? Like, it's like his sophomore year of college, and he's still talking about how Jessica and him are together. And it's like, dude, that was three years ago. Like, you need to move on. Like, I feel like we're going to be citing the COVID year forever um, when it comes to, like, how it impacted the Chiefs cap. I, I mean, to me, 
the biggest thing that impacted and changed changed the Chiefs' plans long term were both Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher getting hurt. Schwartz looked like a guy who could have easily been dominant into his late 30s. He was like 31 or 32 last year. I mean, you look at how some of the other players in the league's age at tackle, um, he completely could have been, you know, playing for four or five more years. And, you know, you like, I, you know, Eric Fisher looked like a guy who was going to age gracefully. He was athletic. He had the potential to, to, you know, play long-term Andrew Whitworth. He's like 39 years old and is still playing left tackle in the NFL. Those guys, I think they were counting on keeping and keeping around long-term and they would always just be on kind of mid-level deals, never reset the market, but obviously that didn't happen. And, and that's, that's how things go. I mean, for me, the notion of them planning or even talking about tagging a player a year in advance, it's just, it's just kind of a scary place to be. I just feel like there is going to be an odd man out here when it comes to the cap in next year. And to bring it back to the, to the preseason game, I don't know if you saw some of the quotes from Andy Reid, but they were talking about how McCole Hardman was really running in Tyreek Hill's position last week. I mean, we can read into that a little bit and say, was he running in that position because they tried to see how they could exist without Tyreek Hill? Because after the 22 season, so not the end of next year, but the following year, there is no Eric, there is no Tyreek Hill or McCole Hardman on this roster. They are both free agents and walking away. And usually the way these deals go, if they get to the last year, see the Tyron Matthew deal. A lot of times those players head to free agency and Tyree Kill is going to feel like he is owed a lot of money because he's a steal for what he's worth on, on the field right now. And honestly, McCole Hardman did not necessarily make, you know, make the chiefs feel like they could exist without Tyree kill. So I, to me, between Eric Fisher or not Eric Fisher, why do I keep saying his name between Orlando Brown, between Tyron Matthew and Tyree kill there I don't think all three of those guys get paid. And I, I just don't see, I mean, here's my thing. You have the fastest guy in the NFL who, you know, is scoring double digit touchdowns almost every season and literally changes the way a defense plays him. You have a player you just gave up picks for who might be an average to slightly above average left tackle protecting Patrick Mahomes' blindside after the most embarrassing Super Bowl in this franchise's history. And then you have a over 30 uh, safety who's had both of his ACLs torn and is on the wrong side of 30. I mean, I just, to me, it makes too much sense that Tyron Matthew would be the odd guy out. So, I'm going to ask you a few questions and, and you can tell me if you want to get into it or not, or not. Do you want to go into the whole, the cap isn't real and how you were right about that? Or, or are you just going to let that slide? Well, I mean, here's the thing. There's no truer words in life than nothing in life is black and white. I will, you know, that is one of the lessons that I will teach my son time and time again, because so many people want to turn things into, it is either this or that. You know, the geniuses that are on social media that cite that COVID has a 99% survival rate. Forget that being in the hospital and being on a ventilator for two weeks ain't exactly a good time. Just because you're a part of that survival rate doesn't mean it's a great time. 
you know, I survived stepping on a nail when I was a kid, but I don't go running around barefoot with boards. Okay. Like not everything is black and white. You're, you're right. Like I, I will continually take victory laps about the cap not being fake because that's a ridiculous thing to say. And the people who are saying that, who say it's fake, are turning this into a black or white type of situation. I think most sensible people would realize that, you know, the cap can be massaged. And, and I'll credit Seth Kaiser. We always credit his work. He's awesome. He says this really well. The cap is maneuverable in any one year, but the cap long-term is not escapable. Meaning, you know, it's one of those things that uh, eventually the bill is going to come due and you're going to have to swallow and grit your teeth and pay some people and move some dead money some seasons. And it's not so much that I want to take a victory lap on that. It's more just about the fact that to realize why we are here. Part of the reason why we are here is because we had to rebuild the whole offensive line. That's fine. But the cap, like very few teams go without serious injuries to players. That's a part of the cap. Having that space, having that breathing room from year to year is in case both of your tackles get hurt in a season, you know, that's just how it goes. And yes, there are, you know, there are plenty of opportunities. If Breland Speaks would have been what he should have been, maybe the Chiefs aren't paying out the wazoo for Frank Clark right now. If D Ford would have lined up on sides, maybe we aren't paying Frank Clark. If Eric Berry had it in his spirit and, you know, all the weird stuff that happened his last year, maybe we aren't talking about a Tyron Matthew deal at all. But the fact still remains that it's a situation they're in now. And that is why running up against the cap every year is not a good plan because eventually it will come back to bite you. Players do get hurt. Players do retire, whatever the situation is. And that puts you in the spot we're in now. See, and once again, I, I think we've said this maybe off air more than we have uh, on air, but nuance in everything is kind of the way to go about it. It's never, you're, you're completely right. It's never black and white. Um, but I'll throw this second question at you and you can tell me how it hits your ear. Um, do you think that this is a smoke screen by Brett Veach or, cause I'm, I'm kind of picking up those vibes. He's never usually this, um, oh, I can't think of the word. He, he's never really this expressive and, and uh, <clears throat> uh, forthcoming with his strategy for running the chiefs. Yeah. I, you know, I, I completely think that's possible. And there is gamesmanship that happens with the media, with players, agents all the time. I mean, we saw, um, we saw Mike Rimmer's agent declare him the starter in March. I mean, you know, there's goofy stuff that happens all the time with that. You're right. And it could completely be, and we've said all along that it would not shock either one of us if tomorrow a Tyron Matthew deal is done. That's, you know, that doesn't shock us. It's just, it's just the fact that at some point, I think the other shoe has to drop a little bit here. And it's just going to be which player is it? Especially, you know, especially because I know we don't want to say this because we all are enjoying the offensive line right now, but quantifiably, how much better or worse is the offensive line this year if Kyle Long is the left guard rather than um, Joe Tooney, you know, and that's another big contract that the Chiefs just handed out for what PFF grades as the least valuable position on the field, left guard. Now, Joe Tooney's a great player. The offensive line is going to be better. I feel better about Orlando Brown with him playing next to Joe Tooney. But 
it, again, it's a sum of the parts. I, I think that it could be gamesmanship and, you know, maybe this is, or maybe this is the beginning of like, as a husband, I've learned this lesson that sometimes you have to break news to your, your significant other in pieces rather than all just at once. Be like, hey, you know that, uh, you know that thing you put on the calendar. Uh, I think, I think there might be something going on that day. I'll have to look. Next time you talk about it, hey, um, is there any way that we could like go later or earlier to that? Oh no. Oh okay. Yeah. Um, and then the third time, like, hey, um, I have a fantasy draft that night. I can't make it or whatever. Whatever it is, like, I think this this could be you know the first time Brett Veach kind of is alluding to the fact that hey, we're in this bad cap situation and Tyron might be the odd man out. Well, here's how it kind of how how it kind of sounds to me. Brett Veach is never a hundred percent true. Like we'll go back to his uh, left tackle situation or the tackle situation in, in general before the draft and before the Orlando Brown trade. He said, you know, we really need a tackle. We need tackles. We just cut our both of our Pro Bowl tackles. Um, and in the draft, we're going to have to look at something. Now, there's a truth and a lie there, right? We we definitely do need. Um, we did need at least uh, two tackles that can, you know, be the bookends for the offensive line. But there was also, you know, the, the lie that's in there where it's, yeah, but, you know, that's not really going to matter because in the next six hours, we're going to have Orlando Brown Jr. <clears throat> I think that can kind of be applied here, right? Brett Veach says, you know, Orlando Brown's going to be on the franchise tag and we don't know where we're going to be, um, in the next, you know, by even by the end of the season, which I think is probably true, but quoting him here, he says, <clears throat> it's frustrating because we're handicapped a little. Now, I don't know if I believe that to be 100% true. I know Brett Veach is a master capsman. He, he knows exactly where to put the money, and, and I'm sure he's thinking three seasons in advance. Um, with that being said, he has dealt out some pretty pretty bad contracts, in my opinion, the Frank Clark, the Sammy Watkins, uh, the Alex Okafor deal, and uh, the Joe Thune contract. Um, but I think both can be true. And I think that he could be speaking a little bit uh, with the truths, and then in the same breath, you know, not giving so much away. Yeah, I mean, and just to kind of put a bow on it, we're kind of getting into the circular, well, you know, they're, they're either going to or they're not, they are or they are here are two things that are like certainly true and we just need to start planning on and start like taking this medicine every single day. The chiefs cannot afford to have bad drafts anymore. The chiefs cannot afford quote unquote luxury picks, wink, wink, Clyde Edwards, Alaire. And lastly, the chiefs can no longer afford to give up picks for players are going to be more expensive and have less control that's just a fact they need to start becoming more of the ravens who sell players at their highest see orlando brown letting players walk to free agency and then recouping draft picks that's just where they have to be you know do i think that the clyde edwards lair draft pick is why we're not signing tyron matthew no i don't i don't see that and honestly if you look around the places that Matt, uh, Edward Delaire was drafted, there wasn't a whole lot of great options that thus far have panned out. I mean, you can cherry pick and say Jeremy Chin, but I'm, I'm not super frustrated by that um, in, in, it, in itself, other than the whole 
drafting a running back in the first round. But those are just the things that we can't happen. So next year, whenever player X, that's a superstar that we know that we've owned in fantasy becomes a free agent or could be available for trade, the answer is just going to be no. It's just kind of like, you know, there were certain times in when I was growing up as a kid and I did not grow up hard. I, I, my life was fine. I'm completely privileged. But if my parents were like, hey, just to let you know, we've got like a hundred bucks to last six days. So don't even ask. Like, it's kind of one of those things like, don't even ask. Like it's, we are paying Patrick Mahomes. We are paying this guy. We are paying this guy. We, we, we rebuilt the line. This is just the beginning of the new way of the Chiefs. So, you know, that being the end of it, and we, we can circle back to that later in the year if you'd like, um, or if it becomes relevant again, which I'm certain it will. But uh, how do you think Brett Veach has done overall as the general manager? Because I think there's a case to be made that he hasn't necessarily been the super top tier. He's been aggressive, and, and I like that in a GM. That's the only way to make your team better outside of drafting. And, you know, you can say what you want. It's, it's half a crapshoot, and it's not. Um, anyway, I think there's a case to be made that he hasn't necessarily done the best job. Look at the signings, look at the, uh, the trades that he's, he's sent out to me. It kind of seems like there's, there's this misconception that, that Brett Beach is an incredible GM and, and one of the best in the league. When in reality, he might not do as well as everybody thinks that he does. Yeah. I mean, I, if John Dorsey and Brett Beach could be combined into one GM, I think they'd be probably one of the best GMs in the NFL, if not the best. The problem is, is they kind of need each other a little bit. John Dorsey was a, a terrible navigator of the cap, and he screwed it up in Cleveland too, and that's why now he's in a strictly draft role with the Lions. Um, there were some really, really bad contracts handed out under – Dorsey and including the Tabahali second deal that they actually ended up like shooting themselves on the foot with. There was a lot of bad things about Dorsey, but the man could draft some talent. Now, I, I think that some of those came at the cost of um, the cost of risk off the field. See Terry Keel, see Kareem Hunt, see Kavari Russell, who didn't even ever see the field for the Chiefs. who was a third round pick out of Notre Dame that got cut in camp which is pretty unheard of. Brett Veach has done a pretty bang up job. The one thing that I just, I get tired of seeing is everyone was in on Patrick Mahomes. You ever notice that, that the Saints were going to draft him and the Chargers were going to draft him and everyone was all in on Patrick Mahomes. And man, if everyone, if he just would have made one more pick, you know, this team, this team was going to move up and get him. No one was saying that the night after the draft. Everyone said that after he went for 50 and 5,000. Okay, that's revisionist history. Yes, was Brett Veach probably the biggest proponent of Patrick Mahomes in the draft? Sure. But I'm telling you, I or anyone else could have told you that the Chiefs should have drafted Patrick Mahomes because this organization hadn't drafted a quarterback since the 80s. Okay, it was time. And Mahomes was just the next guy. Okay, yes, I'm glad they did not pick Deshaun Watson. And yes, I'm glad they didn't pick Mitch Trubisky. But, you know, Mahomes, he was one of the top quarterbacks in the class. Yes, Brett Veach deserves some credit for that, but he, that does not go on his resume. That was a John Dorsey pick. I, Brett Veach has done a pretty bang-up job. There are things that he's done that have not been great. His first draft was pretty atrocious. That's normally how it goes for GMs. The second draft was mildly better. I feel bad about the Tyree Kill thing. We've went down that road about how KCTV5 made the pick for McCole Hardman, not Brett Veach. But ultimately, 
this season to me will be the season that starts really defining him as a GM. He's made some good moves. You know, he, some of the in-season acquisitions that they made in 2019 were awesome. Mike Pinnell was a great player that was added to the roster. Frank Clark looked like an amazing trade for the Chiefs at that time. They had made a uh, picking up Matt Moore, who won important football games for them, looked genius at the time. You know, there was a lot of moves like that that just really um, – Stefan Wisniewski played great off down the line for them on offensive line. Um, you know, there's some great moves, but this is, this is definitely going to be the season with the rebuilding of the line. I feel like, you know, if they come back and they have really good offensive line play and the offense is able to keep Mahomes clean and continue to be a weapon and, you know, with Nick Bolton coming into the defense, what will Willie – there's last year's draft picks, you know, we still have a lot to see from – Clyde and Willie Gay would love to see more from those players. You know, this is a big year for him as far as he goes. Um, I don't think that he's awful. I don't think that he's necessarily top five. Um, I do think that he's much better with the cap. The Chiefs have done great things with the cap. Going forward, obviously, it's going to be the big test. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's hard to evaluate draft picks. John Dorsey, for what it's worth, he was one of the best evaluators of talent in the league. And I think he still is one of those top tier level guys that can look at a player and see what they can become. With well, that yeah, I, mean, said, I mean, just think about where the Chiefs would be without John Dorsey draft picks, Patrick. Oh Mahomes, yeah. Chris Jones, you know, the list goes Travis on, and Kelsey. on and on. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. I mean, he, he drafted Kareem Hunt. I mean, this team would be a lot better with him. We, you know, we know why he's not, but I mean, this, you know, this team is still the, his fingerprints are all over the Chiefs Super Bowl. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and my biggest thing, at least with Beach, is the contracts. And, and John Dorsey was the same way, right? Like that Justin Houston contract wasn't the best thing he could have done. That Eric Berry contract wasn't the best thing he could have done. There, there well, are a lot both, of things we can yeah, go back. And in and, both and, instances, both times, they let those players get to the franchise tag year, which is exactly what we're talking about Orlando Brown. Rather than paying them a year early, Houston and Berry were holding out went down to the wire in the training camp. So that's that's kind of why the Orlando bringing it full circle, the Orlando Brown franchise tag is, thing is interesting because if they tag him and make him play underneath the tag, he's not going to be happy. And, you know, that's part of where some of that disgruntledness came from those two players as well, uh, Barry and Houston, that is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, we're going to transition. There were uh, two articles that, well, one actually is a podcast, but I'm not going to play a podcast on a podcast. That's a little too uh, inception-y. There were two things that came out that were Chiefs news that flew a little underneath the radar this week, uh, this past week that I wanted to share. Um, and we'll let Christian react here first. So the first is um, Lewis Riddick appeared on a podcast. Um, I'm trying to find the exact name of it. Um, it's one of... Pablo Torres ESPN Daily podcast. It's an NFL podcast. And obviously, Chiefs fans know Lewis Riddick used to work with Andy Reid back in Philadelphia. And this is referencing an interview that he did with Matt Nagy. So I'm just going to start reading here. So this is a little bit of me reading the internet. Nagy has been through this before, although the situation was different in Kansas City with Patrick and Alex Smith. And I'm telling you this. When he watches Justin, Justin Fields, that is, do you think for a minute he's not sitting there going, damn, I just want to put him in there and let him, of course he is, Riddick said. He wants to see him as much as all of us do, but he knows it's a bigger responsibility than that, Riddick continued. But all I'll just say is this too. 
there was a point in time early in Patrick's rookie year, they thought about putting him in there. Should we just go ahead and put him in there? Just bench Alex Smith because Mahomes is sort of a dual threat god, Torres and uh, or good dual threat good Torres injected. Exactly, Riddick said, because he was go, going and doing stuff out there out of the gate that they were looking at each other like, oh, my God, I know for a fact. I know. I know. And that had they set their set on their hands because they were still winning. Alex was having a career year, but they also knew, man, this 15 boy, whew, my God. And they kept themselves. They forcibly kept themselves from putting him in the game. Besides my terrible reading there. It's kind of weird because it's like they're like direct quotes from Lewis Reddick and he's kind of talking in, um, you know, in a podcast. So it's a little bit more broken, but more or less what that's saying is Matt Nagy sat down with Lewis Riddick. They were talking about Justin Fields and he was talking about how he's been in this situation before with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith and how he ha- they had to keep themselves from playing Patrick, Miss- Patrick Mahomes. I almost said Patrick Smith, Patrick Mahomes um, in 2017. So my big takeaway from this is, did the Chiefs screw it up by not playing Patrick Mahomes in 2017? What's your opinion of that? Well, first of all, I'll answer your question first, and then I'll get into the article. Um, No, absolutely not. They did the exact right thing. I mean, look what's happening. Could, Could you have imagined being a Chiefs fan 10 years ago, if you said you'll have to endure one more season, um of a a one more winning season but you won't do very much in the playoffs but you'll have possibly the greatest quarterback uh to suit up in the league for the next 25 years would you do it and I'd be like yeah what do you mean yeah absolutely I'll take one more uh above average season for an NFL team and wait to have you know my cake and eat it too like absolutely they did the right thing whatever Andy Reid anything that he does with quarterbacks really it's just like yeah he's probably the best most qualified person to to make that decision so yeah I 100% agree with the Chiefs leaving Patrick out for however long and and relating back to the article here I think that if Justin Fields doesn't play this year it's not a big deal like he's he's gonna get some reps he's been getting preseason reps he looks really good I'm gonna toot my own horn here again I called it a little bit a while back. Uh, I think the Bears are going to be really, really good. I think Justin Fields is really great. Um, but I, I think that if they let him sit for a year, what happens? That everybody gets a year older? That, that's the, and especially if he's going to be what Matt Nagy thinks he will be. And I trust Matt Nagy's judgment uh, because Andy Reid trusted Matt Nagy's judgment. See, I'm going to completely disagree with you. There is nothing more valuable in the NFL than a good rookie quarterback. It is the most supremely valuable thing in the NFL to have a cost-effective player at the most important position in football. And I even have the exact point that I was ready for the Chiefs to insert Patrick Mahomes. I don't think he should have started week one. But after the Chiefs lost 12-9 to to the New York Giants at MetLife Stadium, At that point, the Chiefs had lost seven out of their last eight games and had lost four out of their six. The offense had stalled. They had lost to the Jets earlier. They had also lost to the Bills, and these aren't Josh Allen's Bills. This is back when when they were without Josh Allen. This is early in the Sean McDermott era. This would have been the perfect time to insert Patrick Mahomes. 
Kareem Hunt was having his breakout rookie year that he would go on to win the rushing title. They still had Mitch Morris. They still had Eric Fisher. They still had Mitchell Schwartz. Um, LDT was actually having a good year. Travis Kelsey was obviously having a good year. Tyreek Hill was establishing himself as a big time wide receiver. They had Chris Conley was there. Obviously that's not, you know, a huge deal breaker or big game changer, but the defense wasn't as awful as it was in 2018. Um, Mahomes coming in at that, you know, 12 and nine game, nobody knew what to expect from Patrick Mahomes. And it took the league a while to catch up to what he was doing. I think that there is completely a situation where the Chiefs make a run at the Super Bowl that year. And you know what? They could have even done it anytime after that. Hell, they could have done the Tua. Um, who did Tua replace in the national championship game? I can't remember that they took. Was it? I'm trying to remember because, you know, Nick. I can't remember either. Yeah, Nick Saban made that change. But they could have even done it in the Titans game whenever the Chiefs offense just completely stalled in the second half. I understand the, the results. We like how the results turned out. Um, but, man we can't sit here and think about what, what happened and let that decide what could have happened. I mean, do I know that the chiefs would have beat this because that was the year, the 24 eight or the 28, three game with the Falcons. Do I know that the chiefs could have beat the Patriots in the AFC championship or beat the Falcons? Maybe not, but man, I, I just think that there's a real situation that the chiefs could have made their run earlier. And we could be talking about, are going to a fourth straight Super Bowl. We're talking about two Super Bowl championships. See, you're getting a little too greedy now. I don't know if you're really a Chiefs fan because uh, last time I checked, we, we were pretty satisfied with uh, going over 500, or at least how it's, that's how it's been for the majority of my Chiefs fandom. Uh, there, there were some dark days. So I, an above average season to me is, is enough. I think, you know, when, when you're talking about especially uh, once again, like the mental health of your players, the confidence that they have. I think keeping him out for that Jets game or the, the Giants game right after that Giants game, whoever we played next or uh, the Titans when we stalled. Um, I think that keeping him out might have been like maybe giving him just a little bit more confidence. Like, look, Andy Reid isn't going to give up on Alex Smith even though he's not playing really well, even though. So uh, let, let me ask you this: Where, when did the switch fit? When did the like the switch flip for Patrick Mahomes? That like he went from being Texas Tech Patrick Mahomes, a risk, whatever, to MVP. Because that, that his first full season, he was an MVP. When did that switch flip? Did it happen after when, Patrick after Alex Smith was traded? Because he would have still had that time. Like if, if your argument was like, oh, he needed a full another offseason and camp and all that as the one, you would have still had that. Like wh- wh- where did that switch flip for you then? I would say when Andy Reid gave him the keys to the offense. When, when Andy Reid – quarterback is a really finicky position. Like quarterback isn't like running back where you bring in a bunch of guys and the best man wins the position. Right, right. And really I, and I, I understand that, but – but, the argument that Mahomes couldn't have done it, I, I just don't understand. Like, do I think that Mahomes would have come out and been MVP level in 2017? Probably not. I'm sure the full offseason helped him, but he would have still had that. And I guess my question is, do you, so you think 2017 Alex Smith was better than 2017 Patrick Mahomes? Is that, would that be safe to say? 
No, because I think Alex Smith was probably an average to above average quarterback in the league. And exactly. Obviously, Patrick. But okay, there is no way on God's green earth that Patrick Mahomes is losing a game to the Giants 12-9 in 2017 with Kareem Hunt, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. Okay, but, but here's the thing is that if his confidence gets shot there, let's say they play the Chargers. Whoever he gets put in, he plays the Chargers next. If he loses a game to the Chargers, that middle block is going to be in his head for, for the rest of the season. And, oh, did they make a mistake on picking me over Alex? Like, and, and now Alex is kind of like out there. He's like, well, you know, maybe. I don't it's, know if, uh, your, your, argument I don't is, your argument is valid. I personally think that the, the quarterback persona thing is, is a little overblown. Like there was this thing there for a while. It was like, oh, if you ruin a quarterback in the beginning, they'll never be able to recover. I mean, Josh Allen had some really uh, rough years before he turned into what he turned into, you know, but I, I understand it. I, I, and maybe the, the right answer is that Chiefs were trying to recoup as much value for Alex Smith on the trade market as possible. Kendall Fuller had a game ceiling interception in the Super Bowl. Maybe, you know, maybe that's the difference between just getting a pick and a player. Well, in hindsight, being 2020 here, maybe if uh, Patrick Mahomes gets in the game and we win a few, then we don't have Steve Spagnolo, and we're still a crappy defense on an offensive-focused team. And I don't yeah. want to think about that anymore, so let's, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> you know what, the... I there are many times that I think about that the best thing for the Chiefs was actually losing the AFC championship because there's a real chance that Bob Sutton would still be the defensive coordinator if they had went on to the Super Bowl. Well, this is pretty fun just hopping on here and doing this. Honestly, I feel yeah. like uh, I feel like we came out of the bullpen, but our arms were like nice and fresh and we were just throwing gas like 100 mile an hour. Like if we recorded the podcast in like 15 minute chunks, I feel like we could actually be a decent podcast. You want to start doing that? We can do that. <laughs> maybe, maybe. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll add this to the other stuff we have recorded. And um, thanks for listening, guys.